Chapter Eight of the Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As she was devoted to romantic effects, Lord Warburton ventured to express a hope that she would come some day and see his house, a very curious old place. He extracted from Mrs. Touchett a promise that she would bring her niece to Lockley, and Ralph signified his willingness to attend the ladies if his father should be able to spare him. Lord Warburton assured our heroine that in the meantime his sisters would come and see her. She knew something about his sisters, having sounded him during the hours they spent together while he was at Garden Court, on many points connected with his family. When Isabel was interested she asked a great many questions, and as her companion was a copious talker she urged him on this occasion by no means in vain. He told her he had four sisters and two brothers, and had lost both his parents. The brothers and sisters were very good people. "'Not particularly clever, you know,' he said, "'but very decent and pleasant.' And he was so good as to hope Miss Archer might know them well. One of the brothers was in the church, settled in the family living, that of Lockley, which was a heavy, sprawling parish, and he was an excellent fellow in spite of his thinking differently from himself on every conceivable topic. And then Lord Warburton mentioned some of the opinions held by his brother, which were opinions Isabel had often heard expressed, and that she supposed to be entertained by a considerable portion of the human family. Many of them, indeed, she supposed she had held herself, till he assured her she was quite mistaken, that it was really impossible, that she had doubtless imagined she entertained them, but that she might depend that, if she thought them over a little, she would find there was nothing in them. When she answered that she had already thought several of the questions involved over very attentively, he declared that she was only another example of what he had often been struck with, the fact that, of all the people in the world, the Americans were the most grossly superstitious. They were rank Tories and bigots, every one of them. There were no conservatives like American conservatives. Her uncle and her cousin were there to prove it. Nothing could be more medieval than many of their views. They had ideas that people in England nowadays were ashamed to confess to. And they had the impudence, moreover, said his lordship, laughing, to pretend they knew more about the needs and dangers of this poor, dear old, stupid England than he who was born in it and owned a considerable slice of it. The more shame to him. From all of which Isabel gathered that Lord Warburton was a nobleman of the newest pattern, a reformer, a radical, a contemner of ancient ways. His other brother, who was in the army in India, was rather wild and pig-headed, and had not been of much use as yet but to make debts for Warburton to pay, one of the most precious privileges of an elder brother. "'I don't think I shall pay any more,' said her friend. "'He lives a monstrous deal better than I do, enjoys unheard-of luxuries, and thinks himself a much finer gentleman than I. As I'm a consistent radical, I go in only for equality. I don't go in for the superiority of the younger brothers. Two of his four sisters, the second and fourth, were married, one of them having done very well, as they said, the other only so-so. The husband of the elder, Lord Haycock, was a very good fellow, but unfortunately a horrid Tory, and his wife, like all good English wives, was worse than her husband. The other had espoused a smallish squire in Norfolk, and, though married but the other day, had already five children. This information and much more Lord Warburton imparted to his young American listener, taking pains to make many things clear and to lay bare to her apprehension the peculiarities of English life. 
Isabel was often amused at his explicitness, and at the small allowance he seemed to make either for her own experience or for her imagination. "'He thinks I'm a barbarian,' she said, "'and that I've never seen forks and spoons.' And she used to ask him artless questions for the pleasure of hearing him answer seriously. Then, when he had fallen into the trap, "'It's a pity you can't see me in my war-paint and feathers,' she remarked. "'If I had known how kind you are to the poor savages, I would have brought over my native costume.' Lord Warburton had travelled through the United States, and knew much more about them than Isabel. He was so good as to say that America was the most charming country in the world, but his recollections of it appeared to encourage the idea that Americans in England would need to have a great many things explained to them. "'If I had only had you to explain things to me in America,' he said, "'I was rather puzzled in your country. In fact, I was quite bewildered, and the trouble was that the explanations only puzzled me more. You know, I think they often gave me the wrong ones on purpose. They're rather clever about that over there. But when I explain, you can trust me. About what I tell you, there's no mistake.' There was no mistake, at least, about his being very intelligent and cultivated, and knowing almost everything in the world. Although he gave the most interesting and thrilling glimpses, Isabel felt he never did it to exhibit himself, and though he had had rare chances and had tumbled in, as she put it, for high prizes, he was as far as possible from making a merit of it. He had enjoyed the best things of life, but they had not spoiled his sense of proportion. His quality was a mixture of the effect of rich experience, oh, so easily come by, with a modesty at times almost boyish, the sweet and wholesome savour of which, it was as agreeable as something tasted, lost nothing from the addition of a tone of responsible kindness. "'I like your specimen English gentleman very much,' Isabel said to Ralph, after Lord Warburton had gone. "'I like him too. I love him well,' Ralph returned. "'But I pity him more.' Isabel looked at him askance. Why, that seems to me his only fault, that one can't pity him a little. He appears to have everything, to know everything, to be everything. Though he's in a bad way, Ralph insisted. I suppose you don't mean in health? No, as to that he's detestably sound. What I mean is that he's a man with a great position who's playing all sorts of tricks with it. He doesn't take himself seriously. Does he regard himself as a joke? Much worse. He regards himself as an imposition, as an abuse. Well, perhaps he is, said Isabel. Perhaps he is, though on the whole I don't think so. But in that case, what's more pitiable than a sentient, self-conscious abuse planted by other hands, deeply rooted but aching with a sense of its injustice? For me, in his place, I could be as solemn as a statue of Buddha. He occupies a position that appeals to my imagination. Great responsibilities, great opportunities, great consideration, great wealth, great power, a natural share in the public affairs of a great country. But he's all in a muddle about himself, his position, his power, and indeed about everything in the world. He's the victim of a critical age. He has ceased to believe in himself, and he doesn't know what to believe in. When I attempt to tell him, because if I were he, I know very well what I should believe in, he calls me a pampered bigot. I believe he seriously thinks me an awful Philistine. He says I don't understand my time. I understand it certainly better than he, who can neither abolish himself as a nuisance nor maintain himself as an institution. He doesn't look very wretched, Isabel observed. Possibly not, though, being a man of a good deal of charming taste, I think he often has uncomfortable hours. 
but what is it to say of a being of his opportunities that he's not miserable besides i believe he is i don't said isabel well her cousin rejoined if he isn't he ought to be in the afternoon she spent an hour with her uncle on the lawn where the old man sat as usual with his shawl over his legs and his large cup of diluted tea in his hands in the course of conversation he asked her what she thought of their late visitor isabel was prompt i think he's charming he's a nice person said mr touchett but i don't recommend you to fall in love with him i shall not do it then i shall never fall in love but on your recommendation moreover isabel added my cousin gives me a rather sad account of lord warburton oh indeed i don't know what there may be to say but you must remember that ralph must talk he thinks your friends too subversive or not subversive enough i don't quite understand which said isabel the old man shook his head slowly smiled and put down his cup i don't know which either he goes very far but it's quite possible he doesn't go far enough he seems to want to do away with a good many things but he seems to want to remain himself i suppose that's natural but it's rather inconsistent oh i hope he'll remain himself said isabel if he were to be done away with his friends would miss him sadly well said the old man i guess he'll stay and amuse his friends i should certainly miss him very much here at gardencourt he always amuses me when he comes over and i think he amuses himself as well there's a considerable number like him round in society they're very fashionable just now i don't know what they're trying to do whether they're trying to get up a revolution i hope at any rate they'll put it off till after i'm gone you see they want to disestablish everything but i'm a pretty big landowner here and i don't want to be disestablished i wouldn't have come over if i had thought they were going to behave like that mr touchett went on with expanding hilarity i came over because i thought england was a safe country i call it a regular fraud if they're going to introduce any considerable changes there'll be a large number disappointed in that case oh i do hope they'll make a revolution isabel exclaimed i should delight in seeing a revolution let me see said her uncle with a humorous intention i forget whether you're on the side of the old or on the side of the new i've heard you take such opposite views i'm on the side of both i guess i'm a little on the side of everything in a revolution after it was well begun i think i should be a high proud loyalist one sympathizes much more with them and they've a chance to behave so exquisitely i mean so picturesquely i don't know that i understand what you mean by behaving picturesquely but it seems to me that you do that always my dear oh you lovely man if i could believe that the girl interrupted i'm afraid after all you won't have the pleasure of going gracefully to the guillotine here just now mr touchett went on if you want to see a big outbreak you must pay us a long visit you see when you come to the point it wouldn't suit them to be taken at their word of whom are you speaking well i mean lord warburton and his friends the radicals of the upper class of course i only know the way it strikes me they talk about the changes but i don't think they quite realize you and i you know we know what it is to have lived under democratic institutions i always thought them very comfortable but i was used to them from the first and then i ain't a lord you're a lady my dear but i ain't a lord now over here i don't think it quite comes home to them 
it's a matter of every day and every hour and i don't think many of them would find it as pleasant as what they've got of course if they want to try it's their own business but i expect they won't try very hard don't you think they're sincere isabel asked well they want to feel earnest mr touchett allowed but it seems as if they took it out in theories mostly their radical views are a kind of amusement they've got to have some amusement and they might have coarser tastes than that you see they're very luxurious and these progressive ideas are about their biggest luxury they make them feel moral and yet don't damage their position they think a great deal of their position don't let one of them ever persuade you that he doesn't for if you were to proceed on that basis you'd be pulled up very short isabel followed her uncle's argument which she unfolded with his quaint distinctness most attentively and though she was unacquainted with the british aristocracy she found it in harmony with her general impressions of human nature but she felt moved to put in a protest on lord warburton's behalf i don't believe lord warburton's a humbug i don't care what the others are i should like to see lord warburton put to the test heaven deliver me from my friends mr touchett answered lord warburton's a very amiable young man a very fine young man he has a hundred thousand a year he owns fifty thousand acres of the soil of this little island and ever so many other things besides he has half a dozen houses to live in he has a seat in parliament as i have one at my own dinner-table he has elegant tastes cares for literature for art for science for charming young ladies the most elegant is his taste for the new views it affords him a great deal of pleasure more perhaps than anything else except the young ladies his old house over there what does he call it lockley is very attractive but i don't think it's as pleasant as this that doesn't matter however he has so many others his views don't hurt any one as far as i can see they certainly don't hurt himself and if there were to be a revolution he would come off very easily they wouldn't touch him they'd leave him as he is he's too much liked ah oh, he couldn't be a martyr even if he wished isabel sighed that's a very poor position he'll never be a martyr unless you make him one said the old man isabel shook her head there might have been something laughable in the fact that she did it with a touch of melancholy i shall never make any one a martyr you'll never be one i hope i hope not but you don't pity lord warburton then as ralph does her uncle looked at her a while with genial acuteness yes i do after all End of chapter eight